This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Good evening, one and all, and welcome to uh, The Late Show with me, Ollie Haley. I'm really, really excited to uh, be on tonight. I have quite an eclectic mix of topics for you, um, so please do stay tuned, uh, get involved. I'd love to hear what you've got to say. Um, text in or call in at any point during the show um, because I'm really interested to kind of uh, hear other people's ideas Um, and I'm really really looking forward to the show so this is Teachers Talk Radio and you are listening live tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio follow the hashtag TT Radio tune in talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Okay, hello everybody. Um, I can see that there's three. Hi, Alex. <laughs> Alex, not shy and coming forward. Good evening. Um, I hope everybody's doing well. Uh, like I said in my little intro, I'm really, really excited to be on air tonight. Um, I've always been told that I've got the face for radio, so I, I thought that uh, this would be kind of next to teaching the perfect hobby um, or, or little uh, project for me to take on. So um, just a little bit of background. Uh, of course you did, Alex, you had to be here. Just a little bit of background about me, if you're not already familiar with me from Twitter or anything like that, which I suspect you may be, you may be thinking, oh goodness, he's pervasive, like a, like some sort of miasma, he gets everywhere. Um, so I am uh, I'm an English teacher. I'm based at a school in um, in Bedfordshire, a, a lovely school actually, a really really nice school. I've only been there for a week. It's been my first week, um, a week yesterday in fact uh, that I've been at this new school, um, and I'm really really enjoying it so far. It's all really really positive. Uh, the kids are great. Uh, the, the, my colleagues are great. Um, the systems are great. The culture, most importantly, is great. Um, and so I'm re- I'm having a really really good time. I'm coming up to, well, I'm not coming up to actually, it's a few months away, it's about six months away now. I'm coming, it's about six months until uh, I've been qualified for a year. So I'm currently my first year of my uh, ECT year. Um, and it's going really well. I'm going to talk uh, later in the show a little bit about um, career changing and, and my decision to change career and how I found it and the sort of things that um, struck me when I first entered the profession Um, But before that, I just want to kind of give a general overview of the sort of things that you can expect on tonight's show. It's quite uh, varied. Like I said, it's quite uh, an eclectic mix. So we've got all sorts of topics. Um, I'm going to talk about school uniform. Because school, if if you're on Edgy Twitter or or, or on Twitter, uh, you'll be be aware that school uniform is an incredibly hot topic at the minute. Well, no, it wasn't actually. Not so much anymore. The, The... The... the fire has slightly died down. Um, I think the embers are just starting to settle. Um, and so I'm going to resurrect. <laughs> I'm going to breathe new life into that fire. I'm going to pour some uh, pour some petrol onto that fire tonight um, and get it going again. Because it was really interesting, actually. Um, I'm not going to get into it just yet, but there were some really interesting discussions that emerged about school uniform and the kind of the different opinions that people have. So if you have any particularly strong thoughts, um, I would love to hear from you, so please do text in, because um, it's it's genuinely interesting, especially especially from my perspective as a newcomer, to find out what people who are already in the profession think. Um, I'm then going to go and talk about talk a little bit about myself, because it is my show, and so it, it would be remiss of me if I didn't talk about myself. And I'm going to talk about kind of being an early career teacher, how I found it, some of the things I've noticed, some of the things that I have. Um, that, that puzzle me, that confuse me. Um, I'm also hopefully going to talk about things, uh, we're going to explore, dip my toe into the muddy water of whether teaching is stressful. And have we overcomplicated teaching? Is teaching simple? Or have we, do we, do we, do we as teachers overcomplicate it? Um, these are the big questions that I'm going to be exploring on this show. And I, I wouldn't be able to do that if I didn't have the input of uh, my guests. So, <laughs> do you know what, Alex? This is really interesting. It's not the duty of the anti-uniform brigade to prove we don't need uniform. It's the duty of the pro to prove it's worthwhile. I'm going to, I think, 
explore that in a little bit more detail, Alex, um, because I've got a few quotes that I've plucked about from people who I think are in the pro uniform brigade. I'm not going to name any names or anything, but I am going to give some quotes that I found uh, from people in the pro uniform brigade who have provided reasons for why they think uniform is necessary, why they think uniform should should remain, why it should be kept in in British schools. Um, and and it's it's really again it was really interesting as I was reading around this to see what different ideas were and I, what I tried to do as well is I tried to collect a fairly broad range of data um, about countries from across the globe and their approach to uniforms because I do think that school uniform is a is a peculiarly British preoccupation. We we as Brits love the idea of a uniform and I don't know why that is. But I do think attitudes are kind of changing uh, slightly to, to the idea of uniform. But that is all things that I'll explore at a later point um, in the show. Emp Alex says empire. And Alex, actually, it, 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 what you said a moment ago appealed to me because it, that, that, spoke to the, um, that spoke to the lawyer in me, uh, which is something I will come to uh, when I talk a little bit about um, my previous life my previous background, what I did before I became a teacher. Um, I think actually that might be a nice place to start. Might be a nice place to start because it's it provides a bit of context and background about me. So let's go from there. Uh, so I am the, I'm at the ripe old age of 27. So I'm on the cusp of 30. And I always said to myself when I was, uh, kind of when I got to about 25, I, I said to myself, I, I sat down and had a long, hard, talk with myself and I said I, I want to be qualified I want to be qualified in something before I turn 30 now at the time when I was 25 I was I think I think I was still working in law so I was I was employed in in the legal profession um and I had ambitions Alex I'm just stirring the pot <laughs> stir away stir away we need some we need some pot stirring um so I was I was I was working in the legal profession and I I had ambitions of becoming a solicitor and then the pandemic hit and we went into lockdown and I, uh, I the area that I worked in was one that was quite severely affected so it was property I worked in property law I did residential conveyancing and there was a period of uh, where things just went really quiet and we because we couldn't we couldn't do anything we couldn't we couldn't go ahead with any of our transactions anymore because moving removal companies weren't working uh everyone was obviously had obviously been ordered to stay at home i won't say any more than that given what's currently in the news everyone had been ordered to stay at home and so we, we couldn't do anything so i got furloughed i was furloughed for four months uh and i sat and over those four months i um i started to think about whether actually was I doing something that I felt best reflected my attributes? Was I doing something where I was giving giving everything that I possibly could? And and the answer that I came to after kind of three or four months of thinking about it, or probably about two months actually, was that I was that I wasn't. And so I, I teaching had always been something that had been in the back of my mind, even when I was a sixth former, because as a sixth former, I used to um, I used to help out in year ten English lessons. And I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed the, I really enjoyed kind of interacting with people. I've always been a, a people person and I really enjoyed just being in the classroom, even as a student as well. So I made the decision to change career and um, I, I spent those four months retraining. And it's really interesting actually, because I, I, I found some stats online about the number of people who over lockdown uh, thought about changing career. So it seems that I was one of 1.6 million people who thought about changing career to teaching. In fact, 1.6 million people considered changing career or thought about changing career to teaching uh, during the course of the lockdown. And, and I was one of those 1.6 million people. Um, and so I, I, I did everything that I needed to do. Um, and, I, and, and I eventually got myself onto a, a teaching course. Um, and it was it was it was it was really exciting time 
it was a really really exciting time because it, uh, I felt like this was a new kind of chapter in my life and most excitingly most excitingly I thought I'm finally going to be qualified before I'm 30 I'm finally going to be qualified in something before I'm 30 um, and that was that was probably the most exciting thing to be honest um, incidentally I, I actually had to resit my maths GCSE in order to get onto my teaching course um, and I, I found out I got the results of that and found out that I passed on my 26th note on my I think on my 25th birthday so that was that was probably the best present I could have asked for um, and I am going to talk later on about the first ever teaching kind of thing teaching episodes that I delivered it was 15 minutes long for my for my interview onto my skit course and uh, I, I look back with utter shame I think the actual activity that I did was pretty good for someone who had no teaching experience whatsoever um but there's other things that I look back on and I and I and I cringe I cringe um and I despair for the for the person that I was at that time but it went really well um, it was really fun and and so then uh yeah i got myself onto the uh onto the course um shame, alex shame is a prerequisite for the job through shame we are purged well i felt no shame at the time this is the thing i felt no shame at the time i thought at the time that i was some sort of pedagogical trailblazer and that i was this i was going to revolutionize teaching because here i was who's this this guy who'd been working in in a completely different field for for five years and in I come to this 15 minute teaching episode and I just and and it, it, I I was just on fire well that's how it felt anyway I think if I went back and was a fly on the wall in in that room I would probably be uh asking myself some uh awkward questions but it was a year seven group as well so it was really nice it was it was like the the, the best um start i suppose i had a group of year sevens and uh, there was only about oh, i don't know it's probably less like less than 20 of them i think and um let me tell you what i did so i sat down i got the brief i got the brief for my first teaching episode and i was uh, and i was really lucky in fact i i got asked to prepare a creative writing lesson or was it or was it just an aspect of my subject? I think it might have just been an aspect of my subject, actually. And I just went for creative writing because I thought everybody loves creative writing. Creative writing's a, a, a winner. So I um off I went and I prepared my first ever resource. My first ever resource was a picture of it was a Word document, right? So a Word document, I got a picture of a door. Uh, but it was this it was kind of like a like a magical setting. And um Probably the part that fills me with the most shame is the fact that I'd used Comic Sans. I used Com Comic Sans was, was, was the font that I defaulted to. So in Comic Sans, I said that they had to write, uh, write kind of a short narrative or a short description of a journey into like, a, into like another realm where they go through this door. And I provided them with a, with a word bank at the bottom as well. I thought of my best adjectives. Bearing in mind, I hadn't, I hadn't thought I hadn't thought, um, I, shamefully, shamefully, I, I barely knew what an adjective was because I'd been in a, I'd been in a different profession. I hadn't needed to think about adjectives. Um, so I, I, I put together a list of my best adjectives and, um, and, I, and I handed them out to everyone and um, off they went and they wrote. And I said at the end, does anyone, uh, does anyone want to share? Because they only had like, 20 minutes or something I think and I got some feedback and I remember saying to one of the students um <laughs> my first bit of verbal feedback I was like well done that was really good uh you've used something called an oxymoron there and then I proceeded to embark on a on a lengthy um monologue about what what, a, what an oxymoron was um past this sea of blank faces just stared at me um Alex, some things are unforgivable, like Comic Sans is your only real crime here. I hasten to add that I've never used it since. I've never used it since. And I've also learned through being on Twitter that there are um, 
Comic Sans is a font that divides opinion. And I, and I am going to, and, and I'm going to, this is one of the many things that I've learned from being on Twitter. Um, but I'm, I'm gonna, hopefully going to talk about that as well a bit later. So anyway, um, the, the point of, the point of that, that lengthy um, intro there and, and that, that kind of uh, insight into my first uh, foray into teaching, uh, it's just to kind of set the scene because I'm hopefully going to talk later about the ways that I think I've developed and the ways that I think I've developed based largely on membership of, you know, being on Twitter. Um, it's been a huge, huge, huge source of uh, kind of well, professional development, I suppose, is, is the best way for me to put it. Um, so that was so that was how I got into teaching. Now I was struck when I first got into teaching. One of the things that first struck me, which I was amazed by and continue to be amazed by, is the number of acronyms, the sheer number of acronyms that are um, that, that, that pervade the teaching profession. We love acronyms, and whether that's acronyms for writing frames or even acronyms like ECT or NQT, all of those things. We love acronyms, and I and I was it was so hard for me to get my head around all these things when I first when I first became a a teacher and then or well, a trainee teacher I should say. Um, but there was another thing as well, aside from aside from the acronyms, which and and again I still see this crop up now. So even as an ECT, I still see this sort of thing, and it it it, it kind of bothers me. Um, I see a lot of uh, blogs or articles or. Um, books or CPD sessions, whatever it is, all targeted towards ECTs and NQTs. And it, and they generally say something like, or they've got a title like, how to survive, how to survive your first year of teaching. And it's, it's strange. It's strange because I, I saw one recently on Twitter, how to survive your first year of teaching. And as someone who's in my first year of teaching, I sat there and I thought, but I don't want to survive my first year of teaching. Why can I not thrive in my first year of teaching? Why can I not? Why can I not even perish the thought? Why can I not even enjoy my first year of teaching? I think it's a really strange thing that we, and I wonder as well how, how much that contributes to the stress levels that teachers experience, or, or maybe not, maybe not so much experienced teachers, but new teachers like me, I wonder how much the, because obviously we all know there's, a, there's a, the, the retention rates among teachers, I think are, are shocking. I don't have any stats on me, but I know there's an oft quoted one, which is like within the first five years, so many teachers leave, like no, te not, not many, or quite, quite a large number of teachers leave after the first five, within the first five years. And I wonder how much these things about surviving, surviving your teaching career contribute to that. It's certainly not put me off. I, you know, I'm I'm not. I I I love my job and I and I really enjoy it. But I have seen an alarming number of other ECTs over the last few months handing in their notices, leaving the profession altogether, um, going on to other things or, or actively looking for other jobs. And I've got some. This is something I have got some stats for, but which I'm gonna um which I'm going to hopefully return to at some point. I did say I'll probably be bouncing from topic to topic. Um, I'm afraid that this is certainly not going to be a, a rich tapestry of uh, my thoughts. It's going to be very much more of a, um, a hastily cobbled together mosaic, if anything. So, Alex, yes, I do not like this rhetoric about survival. I believe I have tweeted about this. You have tweeted about it, Alex. You have. And, Alex, I remember one of your tweets, actually, where you'd said about... Um, what was it? It was something about something about teachers crawling to the weekend or crawling to the end of term. You know, we don't see we don't see that from other jobs. I'm not saying it doesn't exist, because believe me, it does. <laughs> I've worked in I've worked in, in 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 another industry where I did. There were some times where I did used to crawl to the weekend and I did used to count down to how you know how many days left to the weekend. How much closer am I to the weekend? But you're right, Alex. There there does seem to be a huge um, 
it seems the discourse around that in education is is it seems to be everywhere. It seems to be everywhere. You know, you know even even kind of tongue in cheek tweets like only so many weeks until you know only so many sleeps until um, the end of term, only so many weeks until summer, or things like that. And it's it's strange. I, I wonder how many other professions go through something like that. Maybe we just don't see it because we you know like estate agent twitter for example maybe on estate agent twitter if there is one maybe they're all crawling to the to the weekend maybe they're all looking forward to their their week off or or maybe on um i don't know maybe maybe on any other professions uh little corner of twitter they're talking about their time off as well we don't know but certainly in teaching it's it's there's a lot of it um Anyway, I've, I've, I've massively digressed because I was actually started off talking about uniform, didn't I? And, and off I've gone on, on a huge tangent. So um, I'll pick up from where I left off, which is the last thing I remember saying about uniform is it's a strangely British preoccupation. Um, and there's some really interesting ideas around school uniform. And I'm going to read some uh, I'm going to read some things, uh, some some reasons that I found that, that key reasons I hasten to add the key reasons for uh, head teachers say school uniform is a good idea there are one two three four five there are five reasons number one wearing it gives children a sense of belonging to their school number two it helps pupils share a common identity regardless of finance background culture or religion number three it removes peer pressure to buy designer label clothes and shoes that not all can afford Number four, it helps children and teenagers get ready to learn. Getting into school clothes signals that the day has started and helps sharpen the brain for learning. uh, Number five, it makes the busy morning routine easier. No more rows and decisions about what to wear or whether it's cool enough. Everyone's in the same boat. Now, if there's any that I agree with, it's definitely number five. Because if you're anything like me, deciding what to wear in the morning is a a stressful, uh, stressful endeavour. And so having that Having having the uniform is is obviously a, a really um, it's a it's a safety net almost because you you know you're going to wear the same thing Monday to Friday. There's only one that I really take issue with there, I think, and um, and that one I'm trying to there's people texting in, and I and I can't scroll down, I can't see what people are saying, um, but there's only one that I take issue with there really, and it's the and it's the fourth one. It helps children and teenagers get ready to learn. Getting into school clothes signals that the day has started and helps sharpen the brain for learning. (sighs) Does wearing a school uniform have any effect on the cognitive functions on our cognitive cognitive architecture? Is our cognitive architecture dependent on the wearing of a school uniform? (laughs) Alex, all of my clothes go with all of my clothes fashion icon Alex Wright not just a brilliant English teacher but also um, uh, paving the way for all of us in terms of fashion so I, this is where I want to get more of my guests involved because I can see I've got quite I've got tw- so 12 people if you have any particularly strong thoughts about whether wearing a school uniform does have a genuine effect on children's ability to learn I would love to hear what you think because this is really interesting for me and I, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know what I don't know where I stand on this. What I do know is that um, I think the Education Endowment Foundation did a. I'm just trying to find it. The Education Endowment Foundation did a, um, or, or, or they they said, and I quote: "Wearing a uniform is not, on its own, likely to improve learning." but can be successfully incorporated into a broader school improvement process, which includes the development of school ethos and the improvement of behaviour and discipline. So that's an acknowledgement that the uniform itself doesn't, or on its own, the uniform on its own doesn't have any effect on children's ability to learn. But actually, when it's looked at as part of a bigger picture, it can have an effect. So um, Dorian, psychologically, I think yes. Psychologically, just, just, just like sitting up to pay attention. Now, again, this is another one, isn't it? Attention. The idea of how we focus and how we concentrate, because I know some people would say that they that doodling as someone is talking is is the way that's how they that's how they concentrate. That's how they take information in. But other people will say that, no, unless you're sitting 
up as if you have a metal rod in your back that is that is holding you up or, or like you're like you're some sort of marionette being controlled from above sitting up really straight you can't possibly be paying attention but i'm not sure that's the case because i have on a number of occasions tried to um if i think a pupil's not been listening and and i've just given an explanation i'll call on that pupil and i'll say okay repeat back what i've just said now this pupil for the last five minutes has been staring out of the window watching a seagull walk past and they repeat back almost verbatim what i said and so it's really interesting that we think sitting up is an indicator of paying attention because actually i don't necessarily know if that's always the case um okay so we've got some good ideas coming in so alex i bet that bigger picture depends way more on quality teaching 100 percent. that's the that's that's the starting point isn't it that's the most fundamental thing quality teaching regardless of whether people are in a uniform or not because what the reason that i took issue with that particular point was that it impl there's an implication in there i think however subtle there's an implication there that if you don't wear a uniform you can't learn and if that's the case um how you know schools in america schools in america generally don't wear uniforms and yet american students seem the majority of american students seem to go on to live successful fulfilling lives and we don't wear uniforms at university and yet we've all come out, you know, as teachers, we've all come out with degrees, which would suggest that in amongst other things, we have learned something. Although we were wearing our own clothes. Um, okay, so we've got a comment here um, from No Noam. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right. I'm really sorry if I'm not. Wearing uniform gives a sense of unity to children as a member of a team. Now that I agree with. That I agree with. However... There is another point which came up, which is related to that. Now, I've got a quote here. I think personally, school uniforms are a good thing. They give young people a bit of identity and take away the competition of who's got the best trainers or t-shirt, which broadly speaking, I agree with, but there was something in there. They give young people a bit of identity, but that would seem to go against the definition of uniform, would it not? Because when we think of uniform, we think of we think of everyone looking the same, everyone uh, you know doing a, doing a the same or a similar thing. Now, if in my career as a conveyancer, for example, I had to go in, I had you know I had a uniform and I had to go in a t shirt uh, or dressed as a dressed in in a, in, a, in a in a foam key costume along with all of my colleagues, would that really give me a sense of identity? Does making people look the same and dress the same give them a sense of identity? I don't know. I don't know where I stand on that. So I'd be really interested to hear what other people have to say. Um, Alex, so ADHD, it often isn't about sitting up. A lot of people need to stim to pay attention. Stim, is that some sort of movement, Alex? If wearing shared clothes makes a difference to behaviour or teamwork, isn't that a bit damning about human nature? Aren't we capable of teamwork without it? Of course we are. Of course we are. We are. Absolutely we are. Because we all, we've all been in seminars, again at university, or again in set days, or or um, I recently went to, re well, recently, in September. In September, I went to the Research Ed National Conference, where, uh, lo and behold, people wearing their own clothes. We didn't have a uniform there. And people were actively listening. They were actively participating. They were clearly taking information in. All within their all all in their own clothes, and so I I think I like I like uniform I like uniform because I think it it does create a sense of community. You know, it's it's a it's a chance to be a part of something bigger. It's a chance to represent your school. Um, but you know, giving young people a bit of identity, getting them ready to learn. I don't know where I don't really know where I stand on that. Um. Alex, I've never heard a student talk about how their uniform makes them feel more collegiate. No, and I haven't. I haven't either. Scrap it. Watch nothing get worse. But it's but that's the that's the thing, isn't it? We've had non-uniform days, and the and the students seem fine. They don't seem to be any less engaged. They don't seem to be any less capable of doing the work they ordinarily do in their uniform. Um. I've also got another quote here, 
Uniforms give schools a sense of identity and cohesion. When some aspects of society have become much less certain, uniforms suggest schools are there to provide certainty and order. What about the role of the teacher in providing that certainty and order? Is, is, it, is that not what we as teachers want to do? Is that not what we try and create and build routines for? We build routines to provide certainty and order. We make our classrooms a safe space to provide certainty and order. We can still do all of that without a uniform. I'm just playing devil's advocate here. I, I'm not suggesting that we get rid of uniforms or anything like that. I just think it's, I think it's a genuinely fascinating debate, a really interesting debate, and one which has polarised edgy Twitter over the last couple of days. Um, and I don't think it'll ever, I don't think there'll ever be a, I don't think it's as simple as yes or no, good or bad, agree, disagree. It's bigger than that. It's more than that. And I don't, it's a grey area. Fundamentally, it's a grey area. Alex, I better not misbehave today because I'm wearing the same tie as everyone else. I know, Alex, you've got very strong feelings about ties. I saw you tweet the other day that ties, you're not a fan of ties, are you, Alex? I like a good tie, personally. I have a huge tie collection. And and I, I am, I, in fact, I recently went shopping and some ties were £5 down from £20 and I had to get them. I, I, I was I was compelled to buy them by the, the scale of that reduction. I had no choice. My hands were tied. Um, you own one. But also, this is another thing, isn't it, Alex? This is another thing, right? Um, rules around what, how we dress in the workplace are also changing. So I know, for example, from working um, in an office that some of my male colleagues would wear ties and some of them wouldn't. And actually, sometimes the ones without ties looked just as smart, if not smarter, than the people with ties. And then that was what we wore business. We wore business wear. And then about, I don't know, two, three years into my um, time there, we all of a sudden decided to actually get rid of smart clothes and go instead for um, casual clothes, smart casual. And so actually then the uniform, and I'm using inverted commas here, the uniform, because it wasn't really a uniform, it was just a recommended dress code. It was it was scrapped. And we went to work and we wore our own clothes. But guess what? The level of service that we delivered was no different. The clients that we had were just as happy even though we were wearing our own clothes and not not business wear. So rules around this are changing, attitudes in this around around this are changing. And it's fascinating. It's a really interesting debate. Um, I spent a long time on that, longer than I thought I would. So I want to move on if I can. And I want to think about maybe for the next kind of 20 or so minutes of my show, because I've only got about 25 minutes left. Um, I'm going to pose a question and I'm going to play the news uh, to give you some time to think about the question. So I'm going to put this question to you as exactly as I've written it down. Is teaching stressful? Is teaching a stressful job? And have we overcomplicated it? Have teachers overcomplicated teaching? I'm going to leave that there. I'm going to play the news and then I'm really interested to hear what people have got to say. Are you looking to take your phonics practice forward? Then Little Wondle Letters and Sounds Revised is the programme for you. Created by two schools with an excellent track record in phonics, Little Wondle Letters and Sounds Revised will help all children become readers and ensure no child is left behind. The programme offers complete support for your phonics teaching, alongside classroom resources and fully decodable readers from Collins Big Cat. To find out more, follow at Letters Sounds on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram or join a free briefing by visiting littlewondelettersandsounds.org.uk. Teachers Talk Radio is delighted to support Winston's Wish, the UK's childhood bereavement charity. Winston's Wish supports children and their families after the death of a parent or sibling. They provide emotional and practical bereavement support. Expert teams also provide online resources, specialist publications and training for professionals. Find out more about Winston's Wish and pledge your support at www.winstonswish.org. 
This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn. As schools across England struggle to remain open as a result of high staff absence, many head teachers have an army of volunteers on standby. Nadim Sahawi has stated that 8.5% of teachers are in isolation currently and the Department for Education is working on plans to cope with possible absenteeism of up to 25%. Vicky Bingham, head of South Hampstead High School, said she is building an army of helpers in case of need. She tweeted, Everyone is so kind. We've even got a hierarchy for the Ghostbusters, who are you going to call moment? for our cover supervisor. We had so many different types of kind offers, I decided to prioritise them for him. All volunteers will need to receive a DBS check to work unsupervised in schools. In Northern Ireland, A former consultant of a Belfast-based air purification system, Mark Ainsworth, has urged Stormont ministers to install air filtration systems in Northern Ireland schools. He believes the current situation of schools keeping windows open for compulsory ventilation can't go on. He told Belfast Live, My main concern is that children are sitting in freezing classrooms with their coats and hats on, because they're so cold. The whole thought process early on in the pandemic was focused on keeping doors and windows open for ventilation. But you wouldn't expect someone sitting in an office to do this, and yet it's what we're asking of our children. Schools need to close the doors and windows, put the heating on, and have an air purifier at the back of each classroom. The HEPA filtration in these units can contain all the COVID virus in the air and allow children to sit in a normal classroom. Our government is still talking about this while other countries are buying these units up. This has been your latest Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Last week I looked at some free apps for the New Year's resolution of getting fit and healthy. This week I tried a few things out and I'm ready to present my findings. First up, the free version of MyFitnessPal. There's an old age saying that 90% of fitness is in the kitchen. If you want to get in shape, you have to have the right building blocks to do so. With this in mind, I set out to log everything I ate and for good measure, I even broke out the scales to get portion sizes correct. My first discovery is that 45 grams of granola the recommended portion size is nothing like the portion i've been having in fact i'd go as far as to say that it wouldn't even fill a hamster realizing i was eating three or four times the portion i was supposed to was made me think about my other choices so i ate the recommended 45 grams and logged the milk i was surprised how easy it was to find foods in the search feature even supermarket brands the app gave me a calorie target based on my weight height and goal i'd chosen As I had a coffee, I decided to map out my day and stick to it to stop myself cheating. After a week of tracking, I reviewed what I was eating. I could see where most fat and calories were coming from, allowing me to consider, I'm not promising anything, where I could make changes. The question you want me to answer is, did I lose weight? The answer is yes, but I think my next experiment had the most impact on that. Over the break, I managed to fall asleep watching TV and woke up to an infomercial on a DVD box set to get fit in 60 days. 60 days sounds quite quick, but thinking about it, it's practically two months. However, I did a bit of research and found a programme that didn't need any weights or equipment, just floor space. I picked up the Insanity Workout series for around £35 on Amazon. My thinking being, you'd pay that for a month in a gym and I get to keep this forever. Now, I will confess, I do consider myself quite fit already. However, nothing could have prepared me for this. With Sean T, the amazing energetic coach, screaming, dig deeper, and about 20 fitness professionals bouncing around what looked like a high school gym, I've spent 45 minutes a day for the past six days jumping, stretching, squatting, and definitely sweating. 
Being honest, I was ready to tap out after the warm-up on day one. I'm not going to lie, I used muscles I don't think I've ever used. By day three, even sitting still and lying in bed at night hurt. After pushing through to day on day seven, a rest day, the pain has subsided and I feel great. I just have one word of warning. If you're looking to do something like this, the long walk from the car park with load books may be impossible in the first week. Read the disclaimer, this is not to be taken lightly. In conclusion, I can't see myself keeping up my fitness pal once the novelty wears off, but it has made me look at my diet. A DVD fitness program for me is great. Finding 45 minutes is not always easy, and if you want to try before you buy, if you're a member of Netflix or Prime already, there's programs on there which are already in your subscription. Next week, we're back to tech for teaching. I'm Steve Woods, and this was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods. Your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Okay, and we are back. So the question that I posed before the ad break was, um, is teaching uh, complicated? uh, Sorry, is teaching stressful? Uh, I said complicated because I've got that in my mind for for in a moment. Is teaching stressful? Have we overcomplicated it? Um, This is a really interesting, another really interesting debate, and I expect that this will probably take up the remainder of my show. So we've got until nine o'clock, so about 19 or so minutes. in terms of how this compares to my previous job, so residential conveyancing, that was a that was a different type of stress. So we operated on a kind of volume basis. We had we we were um we had loads and loads and loads of new incoming uh, clients, and we had targets for you know so many completions a month, and the aim was always to kind of hit that target, maybe even exceed it. Now that was stressful between the hours of nine and half five but after half five your day finishes at half five you go home you don't necessarily think about work until the next day Te- with teaching it's different maybe this is because i'm still quite new to the profession but my day doesn't necessarily stop at three o'clock and it always i always remember one of the first things that when i told my colleagues that i was going to be changing career and to become a teacher and um, one of the first things that uh, someone said to me was oh my goodness you're so lucky nine till three and all those holidays and I kind of laughed it off at the time and then I th- it's only now that I'm actually doing the job that I realize it is so much more than nine till three and the holidays are I think necessary in order for teachers to recharge and get themselves ready for another kind of quite intense um quite intense period I think I remember hearing something that um you know t- teachers only teachers work like 10 months of the year but those 10 months, because they're so intense, it's basically equivalent to working like a full year in another job or something like that. I, you know, that's not, I don't, I don't have a source for that. I think it's just something that I heard. Um, but my day doesn't stop when I come home at, at, at four, my school day finishes at four o'clock now. So if I get home at say 20 past four, my school day doesn't end. I'm still thinking about work. I'm still thinking about things that I've got to do the following day. And I think teaching is one of those, uh, one of those pressures where you you thinking about what's happened during the day as well obviously you're constantly reflecting on lessons that didn't go so well or things that you could have explained better or situations that you could have dealt with differently um and so it's really interesting there's there's also something which i remember reading which i think comes from mark enser i i don't know if if i think i'm right in saying that apologies mark if i'm not but mark said something like Teaching is teaching is fundamentally simple, but doing those simple things well is complex. And for me, that captures the essence of teaching. When you think about it, teaching is essentially us as experts in our discipline, trying to help our pupils get up to a certain level of proficiency in whatever it is that we're teaching them. And so it should actually be quite easy to do that. But actually, there's so many variables. There are so it's so much more nuanced than that, and there's so many things you have to consider. And um, Alex, we have overcomplicated it. I think we have caps. Of course, you have to plan the next day. Oh, sorry, that's in relation to the school day not finishing. Absolutely, you have to plan the next day. Well, certainly I do anyway because I'm not at a level yet where I have the experience to just go in and kind of deliver a lesson based on what's in my head. I'm not there yet, although I hope to be one day. Um. But that's so true. Doing those simple things well is difficult. It is tough because, and I find this all the time, 
we sometimes we can suffer from the curse of knowledge and we can think that just because we understand something just because we've explained it it means the pupils have got it and they should be able to do it and there's nothing more frustrating than setting a, a task that is that you that you feel you've done so clearly and hearing a student say i don't get it because you think come on you know what what is there not to get but we forget that that was us at one point or or that will be us at some point me for example i'm rubbish when it comes to anything to do with um you know anything anything physical and by that i mean um i don't know take for example putting an ikea flat pack together i i don't know why i just i i find it really difficult and if I have people say, just, just look at the instructions, you literally just do this. But we all, and, and, and the same with driving, you know, when we, when we learn to drive, we, we or when, we, when we're in the car with the learner and we think, come on, you, you just, it's you, the roundabout, you're at a roundabout, it's just give way to the right and there's no one there, so just go. But we forget that we were all there at one point. We were all novices. Um, and it's, it's, it, it's, it's difficult, it's tough. I wonder as well how much imposter syndrome contributes to uh, the stress that we as professionals sometimes suffer from. I've got some really interesting stats here again. So teaching, I think in a survey done by the Health and Safety Executive, um, teachers or teaching was or education was rated as the third most stressful pr- profession in the UK beneath welfare workers and nursing and midwifery professionals so there are 3090 cases per 100,000 workers in nursing and midwifery there are 4420 cases per 100,000 with healthcare professionals in the 3 years since 2014 and there are um 2640 cases per 100,000 for teachers so teaching one of the one of the most stressful jobs in the UK, um, which is which is is quite stark, really really stark. Um, I've got more here. Eighty nine percent of school leaders in October twenty twenty reported being very stressed. Now I suspect that uh, COVID had some impact on that. In fact, I would almost guarantee that it did. Up to sixty one percent of teachers are actively considering finding a different line of work. of those leaving the education workforce do so due to stress-related reasons. 47% of teachers report experiencing depression, anxiety or panic attacks due to work-related stress. And I I wonder how it's got to this point. I don't know enough to talk about it because I'm very new to the profession. Um, But I'm sure there's there's loads of factors at play. Uh, Part of the thing for me, though, that contributes most to... uh, not stress. I wouldn't say stress because I, I don't I don't feel like I'm stressed in my job, but th- you know that self imposed pressure is is just wanting to be better, wanting to be good enough, wanting to succeed, wanting to um, positively influence pupil outcomes. I don't think I'm alone here. I think pretty much every teacher across the country wants all of those things. Um, but I, I, you know, I, 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 I do put a lot of pressure on myself to get those things right in teaching, to get those simple things right, um, which isn't always easy to do. Um, so we've got a comment from Caps. I've shown someone five ways, then they get it. But have you got the time with 20? Nope. I would never teach kids. But adults, that's a different story. Yeah, it's it's it's, it's tough. Um, it's a tough one. I mean, I I love the job. It's it's such a rewarding job. It's such a fulfilling job. But uh, it, it's it's one where it's not without its difficulties. And you could say the same for any job, I suppose. But it also is fundamentally an incredibly rewarding um job, and I and I, I I don't regret a single day. You know, I don't, I don't regret uh, any, any of the decisions that I've made to change career. I, it's been one of the best things I ever did. Um, got some more comments coming in. So, ah, oh, thank you, Caps. We need people like you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, I think just teaching is 
I was, gonna, I was I need to, I tweeted this the other day. Or I was going to tweet this the other day. I wrote it. I wrote it down. Um, teaching is fun. Teaching is so fun. It's such a fun thing to do. It's so fun to go in the classroom and we all love our subjects and we all enjoy talking about our subjects and sharing our passion and our enthusiasm for our subjects. And that is, for me, is what it's all about. I got a very Key Stage 3 heavy timetable at the moment. And in some ways, that's perfect because it offers me the opportunity to go into the classroom every day and share my enthusiasm for my subject and create, try to instill um, an enjoyment of the subject because Key Stage 3 is the best time to do that. Instill an enjoyment of the subject in the pupils and, and, and just have fun with it, make them enjoy it. And that's really what I'm trying to do um, at, at the moment. So we've got about 10 minutes left before I sign off. Um, we've looked at, well, I think three main topics this evening. Um, and I've kind of jumped around them that I would. Um, there wasn't necessarily a, a strict structure that I was planning to follow. So we've talked about school uniform as something that's been quite topical recently. And it was a fascinating conversation around that. I really enjoyed uh, talking about that and, and hearing people's thoughts about that as well. We've talked about very briefly, mind you, very briefly, uh, about whether teaching is stressful. And the statistics would suggest that it is. Um, but does it have to be? I don't know. A question for for the philosophers, I think. I've talked briefly about being an ECT and tied to that last point about teaching is stressful. Those things that are pitched at, you know, the rhetoric, as Alex said, the rhetoric around being a, an early career teacher and surviving your first year instead of enjoying or thriving in your first year, whether that contributes to stress, I don't know. Um, and we talk, we, I, I've touched on the idea of career changing, although we didn't necessarily explore it in a lot of detail. I wanted, ideally, to find some, if I could, um, find some kind of more uh, interesting stats around career changing. I mean, we've, we've, we've got the fact that 1.6 million people considered changing to a teaching career during lockdown. Um, but I wanted to see whether there was a, whether there was a specific field from which people change to teaching to, to see whether there was any uh, patterns there or anything but I couldn't find anything unfortunately um, but it's really interesting it's really interesting how many people over lockdown clearly sat and thought about um, wanted to become a teacher and, and some of the reasons were really interesting you know 22.8% of people said that it was because they want to work with children and young people 19.1% of people said they wanted to have a social impact I think my reasons were two. Well, 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 but both of my they were they were kind of both of my reasons, um, and also just an enjoyment of the subject. Um, Caps, how did you cope with online learning and the switch? Yeah, it was tough because I'd only really just kind of learnt to find my feet in the classroom uh, before I then found out that we were going to online learning, and then I had to get to grips with a whole new way of doing things. But I was really lucky. I had a lot of support from the school that I trained at and my mentor. And um, I think once you get over the initial shock and the unfamiliarity, it soon you, you soon get into the swing of things. And now actually having to deliver kind of blended learning at, at school I'm at at the moment, it's it all comes back to you really quickly. So, you know, you stream the lessons, you, make, you just check in with the students at home every so often. Um, so it was it was a real... It was a shock at the time, but it, it, you know, you soon, you soon adjust. We teachers are nothing if not resilient. Um, and I think up and down the country, you know, I was just one of many up and down the country. People did put in some Herculean efforts and I, I, I don't know how they did it. I don't know how they did it. I, it's amazing. Um, and I, I take my hat off to every single one of them. The teaching profession, the teaching community is absolutely amazing. And I'm really, really, proud and pleased to be a part of it um, and I'm really kind of pleased to have this platform to, to talk about these things as well um, which obviously is great so with about five minutes left I'm going to open up the floor for any questions or comments 
that anyone might have about any of the topics that we discussed tonight, whether it be school uniform, whether it be teaching us something that is stressful, whether it be um, uh, the rhetoric around helping people new to the profession, any of those things, I would love to hear from any of the listeners. So do text in. I would say call in, but we've only got five minutes. Although if anyone does want to call in, um, I'm not sure I would be able to stop myself actually for less than five minutes. But I would love to hear from what people have got to say. This is where it's going to be a bit like talking on, uh, you know, teaching in a remote lesson because you're kind of shouting into the ether and you're not sure if anyone's actually there. And you're waiting for someone to say something and you're just kind of sat there with bated breath as the suspense gradually builds. Oh, Alex, that's a very good question. Don't you think the rhetoric around well-being is a way to blame teachers rather than admit structural problems? I think, Alex, five minutes is not long enough to talk about the things to do with, you know, the issues around well-being. I think, Alex, you touched on this in one of your recent shows, didn't you? And I know you tweeted about it um, and, and actually got a really good conversation going on Twitter. Twitter, which is something else I want to talk about, but didn't get time, unfortunately. Maybe we'll save that for another show. Um, I think there's a whole host of issues around well-being. We sometimes associate well-being, don't we, with putting a poster up and going, okay, you know, we've done our bit for well-being this week. Just make sure you talk to each other and, um, you know, that's that's that. Or, you know, well-being is um, a, a bag of giant buttons in your pigeonhole or something like that. But actually, it's it's much more... It's much more than that. I don't, again, I don't know enough about well-being to, to you know, I'm not in a position to talk much about that. But I, what I do know from working in, uh, in in education and obviously in law as well is that well-being, I don't think is, I don't know. I don't know what the solution for well-being is. It's a, it's a difficult one. It's a, it's a, a tough one. I think that's one of those things like uniform, which is a bit of a gray area. It's not as simple as A or B. And it's one of those things that I think people are always going to be divided over. One of those things people are always going to be, always going to disagree over. I know um, Kat Howard, she's, she wrote a fabulous book, Stop Talking About Wellbeing, which um, I, I, I have yet to read in full. But I've heard really good things about it. So I'd be interested to explore that. No, Caps, you're quite right. The solution is never found. What is the solution? We'd. I certainly don't know. Um, I'm, I'm, alas, I'm just a lowly ECT um, embarking on this uh, on this long road. Um, with that, we're coming to, to the end of my show. It's been really fun, actually. It's been really fun. I've had a really, really good time. I hope you listening have enjoyed it. Thank you so much to those of you who've got involved. Thank you especially to Alex Wright. I can always count Alex Wright. Thank you to Caps. You've been very vocal. Um, Oh, Pastoral P, DHT, culture is the solution where staff have confidence that decisions are taken in their best interests. Yeah, love that. Absolutely. Yeah, love that. School culture is so important. And that's one thing that my my school is, the school I'm at now is really, really strong on is, is culture. It's really strong culture. Um, and I'm really, really grateful and, and lucky to have that. So thank you again to all of my listeners. Thank you um, for joining in. Thank you for, for um for participating and putting your your messages in and, and and sharing your ideas it's been really really fun i hope you've enjoyed it as much as i have um, and i and i can't wait for my next show which will be in two weeks so i think it will be the 27th of january so if you've enjoyed this please do tune in again um where i'll be uh talking about lots of uh, lots of other interesting topics i'm sure so thank you um and just remember the days are getting longer again sunrise is getting later no earlier and sunset is getting later so we're nearly there guys hang in there and thank you Listening to Teachers Talk Radio, 
Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.